Listener Production. Are you tired of not getting what you want in life? I used to feel the same until I learnt the techniques of manifestation. Let me take you through step by step how I manifest so you can start living the life you had always dreamt for yourself. All the info on my Manifest Your Greatness course is in this episode's show notes or you can go to the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com to purchase Manifest Your Greatness. With a career spanning over 20 years in the health and fitness sector, Tiff Hall is one of Australia's most trusted and respected health and fitness experts, most widely known for her television roles on Gladiator and The Biggest Loser Australia. Tiff is a body-positive activist. Her honest and often raw accounts of her personal setbacks and triumphs have made her relatable and authentic. In this deeply meaningful conversation, Tiff and I discuss body acceptance and how to come back even from your darkest moments. What isn't repaired repeats itself. If something isn't working, repairing it, and not just on the surface. Why am I feeling like that? Why is this not working? Why is this a block? And then making sure that I don't repeat it. It's become very important to me because I don't want to go back to where I've been. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Through my years of studying and researching the connection between human behaviour, personal growth and transformation, I have discovered the keys to unlocking greatness within others. In this podcast, I share stories and experiences from my own teachings, along with conversations with inspiring guests to help you learn the simple tips, habits, practices and strategies to cultivate an extraordinary existence. Tiff Hall is the creator of TXO Life, a fitness program designed for women to feel fit and confident. Tiff's journey is nothing short of astonishing. Today, she opens up about the strange dichotomy between her elite fitness high to hitting rock bottom, her decision to never do reality TV again, and the critical importance of lifestyle choices for living a life of happiness and joy. My hope is that this conversation becomes the catalyst for transformative introspection, inspiring you to embark on a path of self-discovery and purposeful living. Tiff Hall, you're a bit of a taekwondo superstar. Oh. And it's really interesting because I'm, I mean, I'm by no means a boxing superstar, yeah. but I've boxed for the last six years. Oh, like I have really? an instructor that comes over to my house every week and we do oh, boxing. Fantastic. And yeah, she yeah. said when she was growing up, mm. she must have grown up in a similar area to you mm. and that your family was just this well-renowned family for Taekwondo. Yeah, family and black like, belts. Yes, yes. yes they so can, run martial arts yes. schools. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how you got into all of that stuff and yeah. your family did? Okay, so my dad was an international fighter and he was on the international fighting circuit for many years. He discovered Taekwondo when he was 13. And then he opened up his first full-time Taekwondo school the year I was born with my mum, who was one of the first females to earn her black belt in Australia. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, doing it for the girls. <laughs> so I was six months old when I was first on the Taekwondo mats, sort of sitting up. And then, yeah, just grew up in the dojo, basically, around my parents being fantastic fitness and Taekwondo instructors 
they would pick me up from school in their full white taekwondo uniforms. Really? Yeah, because they'd be in between classes and I'd be so embarrassed. Yeah, I was going to say, was that embarrassing? Yeah, don't. Like, can't you wear a suit like everybody else's parents? You know, just pick me up normally. And they're like, well, this is my suit. It's taekwondo suit. Mm. And I'd be like, oh. And then I started to like, I was embarrassed, but then it became really endearing. And yes. my father's now 66 and he's just come back from Korea where he's graded for his ninth Dan Black Belt, wow. which is the highest rank you can go to in the sport and he's now the highest ranked in the world. What? Yeah, he's incredible. He's 66. He's 66, yeah. So my family are like Taekwondo royalty. They're just, um, they've been at it for, you know, 38, 39 years now. The Taekwondo schools have thousands of students mm. and they're all over Melbourne and I was born into it and it was just lucky. They didn't push it on me, but I loved it. Yes. Um, my sister and my brother, not so much. My brother liked basketball. My sister liked shopping. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just different things. Yeah. And we we ended up, yeah, just, yeah, I, I fell into it and I loved it. So, so that was my childhood. So fitness obviously was like what you saw, mm-hmm. which is so unbelievably inspiring. Yes. How did that come to then play such a big role in your life? Well, it was always something in the back seat for me. Like fitness was what I did and what my parents did. And it was every weekend we'd go out and we'd do Taekwondo demonstrations and for schools and um, festivals. And I was always very active, but I didn't want to do that because that's what my parents did. I really wanted to be a writer. Really? Yeah. So I went to university and I did a journalism degree, majored in uh, creative writing, and I did um, a degree also in modern languages in French, went to Paris, finished my French degree in Paris. Didn't want to borrow the fitness, right? But the problem was I was sort of really good at it and it just kept coming back and coming back. And I was at Channel 7 doing an internship for my journalism degree and it's then that I decided to audition for Gladiators <sighs> as a joke because my boyfriend at the time said he was fitter than me and I said, you, uh, I don't think so. We're going to go to the Gladiator audition. <laughs> Whoever gets the furthest wins, yeah. right? He got knocked out. I got offered the job as Gladiator Angel, went on the tally and did this silly show for, you know, a couple of months. Yeah. My parents are like, you better get back into journalism after this. I was like, yeah, sure. Like put in so much effort at yes. uni, right? And then I just started getting offered these gigs like The Biggest Loser. I was working on morning television. I was doing heaps of fitness stuff and boot camps and classes and body pump and Les Mills and like you name it. I was <laughs> doing it in fitness and I was like, oh, I really am enjoying this. But on the side, I was still writing and loving that and it all came together and I've published 11 books, fiction and nonfiction. 11? Wow. Yeah, now I have. Yeah. So I wrote children's books, young adult novels, um, and then my recipe books and health books and things. But the fitness just took over and I haven't, I still write privately, like creatively. I love that. And that's why I I always, I said to you, Sarah, before we started the interview, you're a pen and paper girl because I love writing and I've got all these books packed up, you know, just full of my stories that I will never, ever share, but um, I love writing. So it's just a funny world and I've ended up in fitness and obviously run my own 
company now, a online health and fitness program, and it's doing really well. And I have thousands of members and women, and I just think back to that gladiator audition. And if I hadn't have gone because of a bet between me and my yeah. boyfriend, P.S. He broke up with me after that. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, because I was fitter than him. Hilarious. Um, yeah. I wonder, like, were you happy doing fitness if that wasn't your first choice? I was. I was always really content. The yeah. thing about writing that I didn't like was it wasn't social. Mm. And I'm very social and I love people. And so I would write and then I would go and teach Taekwondo classes for yes. like six hours. Or I would write and then I'd be going to do body pump or body combat or something like that because I just needed people. And I, I still to this day love that. Like I really crave that. And I miss that the world has moved on in personal training to online mm. and virtual training. And I am an online trainer, but I really do miss that grassroots one-on-one training. And I do do it still, you know, through my Taekwondo schools and through, you know, personal clients and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, on the whole, I am an online trainer. And yes. it's... It's kind of sad that you can't yeah. have that connection. It's funny, I do PT and I've done it for years yeah. and I absolutely love it, like going to the gym every week and yeah. having my personal trainer and, I mean, it's funny because people are like, oh, don't you want to do a group class? I'm such Hugging an unco. If I'm put in a group class, God There's save me. There's so much gym intimidation. Like Absolutely. Like you just get so anxious about that And I won't situation. do it properly. And then yeah. it's like, you know what, I probably won't push myself. So having someone else there, I just love it. Yeah. It, I just get excited to go every That's week to so personal great. training. Yeah, yeah. It's such a wonderful thing. Yes, it is. And I, I, I love that you can build relationships yes. long term. And I've got personal trainers and mates in the industry that, you know, I've known for 30 years. It's just crazy. So, and I think it's kind of sad now with um, you know, social media, that there are so many influencers who aren't experts, who aren't mm. certified, who are just handing out programs, advice. And it's like, they've never had a client. They've never done one-on-one. They've never had the experience. And Is that it's, dangerous? Yeah, it's really dangerous. And it's like, it's just the world has changed so much since when I started. Mm. We didn't have any apps. I didn't actually have an iPhone and I didn't join Instagram till after I finished on television. Yeah. Like it was just, it's just crazy that it exists and anyone can give advice now. So it's just a different world. And so you mentioned you obviously did Gladiator and yeah. then um, The Biggest Loser. Mm. How was reality TV? Because that's like oh. a whole, and now you did reality TV before it exploded into like being it is now. Not so, yeah. yeah. But how was it? And especially like The Biggest Loser, because that's what I remember oh. most about you. Yeah. How was doing that sort of show? Oh, no one has ever asked me this. It is a beast and it is so um, manufactured and mm. curated and, you know. Like where's the reality in oh, the reality TV? yeah. I was just a trainer on it, right? Yeah. But the, the reality was I was there on set from 5 a.m. in the morning till sometimes 10 o'clock at night at the beck and call of training the contestants the whole time. Really? Yeah. So we would have structured 
filmed training sessions where the crews would be in there. Mm -hmm. But then I would train them. We'd do mobility. We'd do a stretching session. We'd do some yoga. Then we'd do more training, you know. Um, And they had access to a psychologist and nutritionists. And so the reality was they had like this really great wellness compound that they could be in for seven months. Mm. And that was a very good pro. And I fully believe in what I did in terms of training the contestants safely and looking after them. But then, you know, they throw in games and temptation and it's just the mind, it blows my mind that, you know, I spent all this time training the contestants and then they would go and take a game, which was temptation to eat as much cake as they could in, you know, 20 minutes. Like it was ridiculous stuff like that and to win power and that side of the game of reality TV was really scary. Yeah. And there's something very wrong with that. Now that I'm thinking back to what I do remember that and uh, is Biggest Loser still on now? Like, no. Like, have they gotten no, rid of it? No. I was going to yeah, say, like, it, it just... It wouldn't survive today. I was going to say, it's. it sounds like... It's just not, it's not very, yeah. Yeah. And also like. You can't do it. It's mean. It's not a nice thing. And then weighing people. Yes. I'll tell you what we did in the first week. They made the trainers move in with the contestants, eat and drink everything that contestants ate and drank, and then they'd weigh the trainers. Yeah. Then they'd weigh the trainers at the end of the week and see how much weight we'd put on. Right, but I mean, and I God, put what? on six kilos in a week. Who wants to do that though? You don't want to. Do I didn't want to do it. It was actually traumatic for me because I don't drink alcohol. Yeah. So then it was like having beers and being forced to have alcohol, and then and I don't eat certain things, and you know it was just ludicrous. And we were all weighed. Yeah. And then it's humiliating. And luckily, Michelle and the trainers, all of us know how to safely get the weight off and get back yes, on track yeah, and yeah. be motivated and all of that. But the messaging of the show, it just wouldn't survive no way. today. And I'm grateful for the show and the platform it gave me and grateful for the relationships I have with the contestants. Many of them are now personal trainers. Are They're they? still fit. Aww, They're so, so gorgeous. Nice. Like they are sending me photo updates of their deadlifts and I'm just, I'm so proud of them. But I just think, well, yeah, the messaging, it just, it's sometimes people bring it up and I just want to hide a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm really proud of, you know, I won a series as well. We would drop big numbers and I learned a lot, but mostly I learned that drastic weight loss is probably not the best way forward. I was going to say that. How many of them actually maintain the weight loss? Have they looked back at it or it's Yeah, not many. Exactly. Drastic weight loss like that is hard to maintain. You go home and do you have structures in place? They take the learnings that you give them the training advice, the nutrition advice, but then I don't think they were set up at home with the support network and the ability to follow through. Yeah. My successful ones were they they quit their jobs, they they found new partners that were supportive. Oh, great. They, they, they joined a community, a gym community, and became, like, accountable, you know? Yes. And so you really do have to change your lifestyle if you want it. If if any diet, anything, any change in life, you have to have that support and change your lifestyle. Mm. Um, some of them didn't have the best success, but, you know, I'm very proud that many of mine have. That's and nice. Yeah, I'm, I'm very proud of them. So there are 
big wins that came out of that show. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was a great platform to then, because I was being contacted, will you personal train me? And I'm like, oh, I live in Melbourne. I can't get to Perth. Yeah. Oh, what do I do? And then I was like, oh, I'll try online training. And I started TXO and that's seven years ago. And that was how my business was born. And yes. so I'm grateful to the show and grateful for Tally for that. But I would never work in reality TV again. Like no, go to the just, jungle, yeah. go do this, go do that. No. Do you get asked to do that? Yeah, I've been asked to do other shows. Yeah. And, you know, I just, yeah, I cringe. I don't know. Nah, it's just no way. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't I, leave I my can children. Understand. I just yes. don't understand how people can do it. Like, And I was wondering... Because I remember TIFF XO and mm-hmm. now your platform's changed. Yes. What happened to TIFF XO? Well, TIFF Where XO. Where did TIFF XO oh, go? Oh, TIFF XO, bless. That's how my business started. Yeah. But it was just a rebrand because TIFF was doing all the work. TIFF yes. was doing all the workouts, right? And I would film 40 workouts in a day and they go, oh, yeah, because we give a new workout every day to the members, yeah. right? And I would Jeez, film like a nutcase. Yeah. It's really good good value. But then I realised I got pregnant, I had babies, I've had injuries, I've had life happen to me. I had to bring on more trainers. Yeah. So it wasn't just TIFF anymore. It's like Team XO. It's like TXO. So I've got other trainers who are filming workouts and stuff for me now. And plus it got big on me. I just couldn't do everything myself. Yes. So I had to rebrand it to take the TIFF out of it. Yeah. Um, but I'm still very much, um, yeah, still CEO and yeah. in charge and doing it all. And did some, like, did you have a partner in the TIFFXO in that other one or it was just you? Yeah, initially I was partnered, 50-50 joint venture yes. with another company, but a couple of years ago I bought bought them out and it's just been me, one-woman show, like, since. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, just me. Was that a big move? That was a big move. I did it in COVID, like 2020 or 2019 or something. Yeah. And um, maybe it was lockdown. Maybe it was just, and I just thought, I can do this on my own. Like, you know, um, there were things I weren't happy with and I just wanted more control over it and, yeah, just did it. I think it was lockdown. You have crazy ideas in lockdown. Yes. And it was was tough. It was a big, tough decision and financial move, you know, big ballsy move. But um, I love it. I love being able to have, like, make decisions and not have to run it by anyone and, yeah. And I was thinking about, I was thinking back to the time that we met and it was at Tony Martin's book launch. Do you remember that? Yes. And you were pregnant. Oh, my God, ages ago. Yes. You were pregnant and with your little boy, Arnie, Mm. and I think you must have been close to having him at that stage. Yes, very much so. Yeah, Yeah. and I remember, I think I was giving you advice. I mean, God, I know what I was saying. But we were chatting about life and kids and stuff like that, which was really nice. I remember it was a really nice conversation. And I wonder, you know, how's that gone? You've obviously got two little bubbies mm. now, but mm. how, how old's Arnie now? Arnie is turning six in September. Wow. So big boy, big school boy, little preppy, very cute. Yes. Um, I'm loving that, taking him to school and after school activities and homework and that whole world. Yeah. And then I have had a newborn. She's just turned one, Vader, and Oh, she's she's gorgeous. She's taken her first steps this week, which has just been so exciting. She's she had a PB 
of 15 steps and then she sort of like squats down and starts crawling again and I'm such the trainer I'm like come on walking here we go we can go for a better PB and she's just gorgeous and life is busy with two kids I underestimated the jump from one to two for me was like it it's been like a bomb going off it's just I found it personally hard I don't know whether it's because I've also got the business and a lot going on but I don't know, like all the mums at school, like I find it hard too. Like everyone seems like they're in the hurt locker (laughs) with the little, little young ones. Um, They require so much from you and it's just, yeah, I I find the juggle difficult. Yes. And I wonder with little Arnie, I know when I had my little Oliver, who's 10, Mm -hmm. I can't believe he's 10. Wow, double digits. Yeah. It's big. It's so big. Yeah. Um, but they're your baby, even though they're your eldest. It's yeah. like because you remember they were the first. Yeah, first. I remember when he was first born, like I was very scared. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking, I've got no idea what I'm doing. My brother lives, you know, in New York. He's got a daughter, but I, you know, she wasn't around for me to change nappies or do any yeah. of that stuff. I never had babysat in my life, nothing. Yeah. But given this child, and I was like, oh my God, I'm so it's overwhelmed yeah. with love. But at the same time, I'm like really scared. And I wonder, you know, I know that you've had a lot of things happen, but I wonder how that was for you. Yeah, very much the same. I couldn't believe in the hospital that they. Let me take him home. I was yeah. like, I, I don't know what I'm doing yet. Is there a course? Yes. It's like, can I, because I'm I'm very studious and like, like to study and, you know, I was yeah. like, can I read up on this? And I just didn't know what I was doing. And it was compounded by the fact that I was still running a business and there was no maternity leave. Mm. So like it was just really difficult to navigate that and creating new boundaries and not being available. And then, you know, it's just, it was hard, really, really hard with Arnie. And I I took on more than what I could handle as well. When he was young, you know, when he was about seven months, I started working with Chris Hemsworth on his app. Yeah, centre, and I was the director of training for that. So I was writing the fitness programs for all of the... the, yeah. for the app for all of them. And that's such a good opportunity. You're like, I oh, can't let this go yeah, by. Yeah, it was like a bit of fun, yeah. right? And I got to train him a couple of yeah, times oh in London. God, no one would give that up. And, yeah, I, I was like, got to say, give me some push-ups. Get down, <laughs> give me some push-ups. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, he was fantastic. And that was great, but Arnold was strapped to me and we were travelling. Like, yeah. we went to LA and London and New York and um, spent a lot of time in Byron and, he was only little and I just took on too much. Paid for it in the end, but, um, yeah, it was a good lesson that you can only really do, like, two things well. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Don't overload. Yeah. And then when did you get chronic fatigue and then yeah. there was something else? You also had a genetic, something genetic like, that yeah, you found. Yeah, Like, I mean, it's like a, it's a tachyata thing with the heart, blood pressure as well. Like my blood pressure would drop and I would just faint. I mean. Really? Did you, so you never knew you had that? No. And it was, it was coming off the chronic fatigue because I was so oh. sick and it was so traumatic and I was so sick for so long that I became deconditioned and it was just a sick blood with pressure the chronic thing. fatigue. Yeah, 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 really sick. And. It, it was just, yeah, I was doing too much, too many workout videos, 
having a baby, breastfeeding, and then running. I had two, I had a full-time job with Chris Hemsworth and I was running my own business. And then I was breastfeeding a baby and, you know, looking after him yeah. and running my family and the household and my own exercise. And it oh was just, God. it all blew up and my nervous system basically packed it in. My batteries turned off. And no matter what I did, I couldn't recharge. I couldn't have energy. And that's what my experience of chronic fatigue was. It was just I'd sleep all day, sleep all night, and I'd wake up exhausted. And it just wasn't rejuvenating. So it was a horrible time, horrible two years, you know, but I'm getting a lot better now. And yeah. How do you go from being, you know, this fitness trainer that mm. is on the, all these like amazing shows and training all these people, training Chris Hemsworth, mm. to then not being able to have energy to, to be able to get, I mean, how does that feel? Yeah, I didn't have the energy to drive. So I had to have, um, I have a PA and yeah. she became, she was driving me everywhere. I didn't have the energy to even walk up the stairs, um, didn't have the energy to cook. So my husband was cooking and like I was so gone. Um, and it, it plays on your mind. Like my whole identity was taken because yes. I love exercise because of, for my mental health of endorphins and I just crave it and I love the socialization of it and, you know, to have all that taken away. And then the massive stress of I can't work, mm. I can't do my job. I went on a current affair and was like, I have chronic fatigue. I'm going to have to take a break. I'm, I'm going to duck out of the public for a while and get better. And I was like, what's going to happen to the business? I just didn't know. Like, it was really scary time. So, you know, thank goodness that's all behind me now. And I've learned so much from that about pacing yourself, um, about working in what I call green time into your life, which is recovery time. Mm. Because we work in physical recovery, like we do a workout and then we stretch it out. But do we work in mental recovery? You know, days are stressful, days are busy. So now there's meditation and I put in these self-care things that are non-negotiables actually in my diary and That's they're amazing. green. Yeah. So all the red stuff like, you know, work, meetings, this, da, da, and then there has to be some green time. Mm, um, I love that. And that helps me to make sure that the chronic fatigue, I don't relapse yeah. because it's always in the background. I did have it when I was 14 as well. Mm. I am prone to nervous system stuff. I've got like a dysautonomia. I don't know. It just seems to happen to me. So I have to manage it. Yeah. Constant management. In those darkest times, how mm. did you move through them? Um, with a professional, I think. I had a psychologist. Yeah. Even the, the thing of like my husband became a carer and, you know, all of those dynamics change and mm. it was so traumatic for everyone around me as well. So I just had to get some professional help, work with the experts. I had some fantastic doctors that were really great. Um, I did gradual exercise therapy. What's that? So that was very slowly and gently returning to movement, something that I believed in. It's controversial. A lot of people say exercise 
makes you sicker with chronic fatigue because it's exerting energy, right? But if you do it in the right way, energy creates energy. And I knew that my body knows movement. And so, you know, I would start by just doing a couple of stretches. You know, I would do cold plunge therapy, being oh, ice cold great. water. Yeah, that then, hits the yeah, nervous system and recharges it. Hits the nervous system. Yeah. I do that. I do sauna th- red, infrared sauna therapy. Um, I, I, I tried everything and it was that. It was the hope because you're on the medical merry-go-round where you're searching for a cure because there is no cure for it. You have to come come to it yourself like over many, many, many months and I just was going from one doctor, from cardiologist to neurologist to every ist there is I visited and I was like, what's wrong with me? And in the end, it was nervous system. And I know that from my, you know, education in fitness that the nervous system has many different kinds of energy systems and that I could probably initiate that and in the mitochondria in the cells through gradual exercise therapy, Mm. which was pretty much like physio. Um, And I worked with really good trainers and um, just experts. And it was that constant search of like, just stay in the moment. And what can I do right now to be well? And maybe it was, okay, I'm going to eat this healthy meal that my husband's cooked. I'm going to drink some water today. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to be in my breath. Because mm-hmm. if I let that go, then it was depression. Yeah. And um, I couldn't afford that with my with my son, you know. Did you have to go on antidepressants? No. Like, luckily, I was okay. Um, but, yeah, things were pretty tough and I can see how it would go there. Um, but I had oh, amazing support and... I feel for so many people out there struggling with chronic fatigue and I am contacted daily by people struggling and I don't ever give advice because it is such an individual thing Mm. and there are so many factors that go into it. Everyone's different. And the one thing I will say to anyone listening is that I had a baseline. I'd exercised professionally for 30 years. So I had a baseline And I worked off my baseline, which was probably higher than other people's. So it worked for me. It may not work for you. So you have to just rely on the experts and do what you can do. Yeah. Were there any moments where you thought like, I could like, this is, I can't go on like this. Like I just, Mm. this is the end for me. Well, I thought it was, I thought it was definitely the end of my fitness career. Um... You know, I couldn't run in the park with my son. I couldn't go down the slide with him. I missed taking him out to the zoo. I missed all these things, right? But I kept thinking to myself, you're going to get better and then you're going to be the active mum. Then you're going to be running around with him and he won't remember and this is going to be fine. And for me, I don't know, I, I really wanted to have another baby but I couldn't do that in my chronic fatigue state. I didn't have the energy to be pregnant and I was too sick. So my goal was to get pregnant and I had a miscarriage and that was devastating. And then I thought, oh, I why is this bad luck still happening? Like, And I just stayed focused on this little miracle baby and I felt pregnant and the most amazing thing happened. And some of the doctors have said to me that this is common, that all the hormones in pregnancy shift your nervous system, 
and they help you. And over that nine months of my pregnancy, I just took it easy. I continued with the gradual exercise therapy. I continued with my gradual training. I was really kind to myself and I came out of it okay. So that was the turning point, my pregnancy with Vader. And I think that really helped me. You know, I, the times were dark. They were really, really dark, but I'm a mother and you know, that my kids come first and I was always hopeful that I could be the mum that I was meant to be for them. You mentioned hope before and I feel like hope is this flame that is always flickering inside of us and we have we have it from the moment that we're born and, mm. and the whole idea of like having hope is to not burn out that flame. Mm. And I wonder for you, what was it about that hope that got you through? Well, for me, I had the hope because... I had taken a year and a half off school when I was 14 with chronic fatigue before and I had Mm. recovered before or gone into remission, whatever, whatever, I don't know, and I was well for a very long time. So I thought I've done it before. I just have to believe in myself this time, you know. I really have to just trust the experts, believe in myself and it took longer this time. I was more burnt out and there were more demands. And when you're 14, you can just relax and like sleep when you need to. Mm. And you're not your looking parents up. Help you yeah, out, your parents yeah. drive you to appointments and things. But all of a sudden I'm, I'm an adult and I'm needing a, a break, like a full shutdown of life. But life doesn't shut down. And there's a family to run. My husband has high pressure jobs. He's you know, it takes, you know, you need to support your partner too. And there were things at stake, like my business and, you know, that stress Mm. was just so thick and strong. It was very hard to, you know, stay hopeful some days, but I just knew I'd done it before and I was really, yeah, come on to if you can do it again. Mm. And you did. (laughs) Yeah. So far, so good. I just have to be a good girl and not take on too much. Yeah. And how has being a mum been? Mm. Oh, amazing. And and it's it's like my whole purpose in life, like everything I do. And I love it. I just love it. It's so busy. I find having the age gap that I do of yeah. like five years, it's their little routines don't match up at all. So I'm going from one to the other, one to the other, one to the other. But I absolutely love it and and it's it's just it's rescued me. It's mm. rescued me. And whenever I feel, oh, I could do that, I could take that on and I could push, I could push through, I always think, oh no, no, not for the kids. Like my number one job is to be good energy and be be there for my kids and everything else can just wait, you know. And so I really do block out my days and make sure that I'm very balanced now, very Mm. balanced, yeah. And we have to bring up, you've mentioned your husband a couple of times, who's Ed Cavalier, for anyone who's listening is wondering who that is, is a hilarious Australian comedian who's been on the podcast before. Yes. A friend of mine who I adore. I mean, he does breakfast. (laughs) Yeah. Which I can only imagine how hard it must have been for him mm. during that time as well because, yeah. I mean, I just 
produce breakfast radio and wanted to have a breakdown. So yeah. I can only He's imagine what it was like for soldier. him when he was actually on yeah. the radio. It's very hard to make jokes when you have, you know, someone at home who's so sick. Yeah. And his job is to crack jokes. His job is to write material and, you know, and have you been paying attention, like to be sharp and to not be distracted. And so there was a period there where I was so sick at home. He was so worried about me. It was, you know, it was interfering with everything. Mm. Um, and it was it was a big concern for Ed, for my parents, for my brother and sister. You know, what if I never get better? What mm. if my nervous system never recovers, you know, and I I didn't know. I didn't know many people with chronic fatigue. No one talks about it. Um, there are communities and support groups, but I didn't really want to go into that because they had had chronic fatigue for so many years. I was like, no, I'm going to get better. I need to, I, I don't want to, I don't want to think about that this could be my life. Mm. So, Yeah. I didn't engage, but it was really hard for Ed, really hard. I can only imagine. And, I mean, I don't think he really told many people, if anyone. No, like we that, didn't yeah. tell anyone how hard it was at the time because we just thought we're going to get through it. We were also very um, aware of our privacy. Yeah, and understandably I, I so. I didn't want to give... Because everyone comes to me for advice. Mm. I didn't want to give advice on chronic fatigue because I hadn't figured it out yet. Mm. I was like, I'm just a sick mess. So I don't have any advice to give, you know. I burnt myself out and I didn't know what to say. So I didn't really talk about it at all. I just I shut down my life as much as I could and then... Yeah, that's where I brought in more trainers onto the program and I rebranded and I did all that and I had a great support team within my business who were able to keep it churning along and then I gradually got better. But, you know, I still haven't filmed workouts the capacity I used to. I haven't tried anything. I haven't pushed it. You know, I haven't tried to dip my toe back in the water yet. You know, I'm still very nervous about that. I wonder after your experience and maybe just your studies in general, how important do you think the mind-body connection is? Oh, it's everything. It's absolutely everything. And I think that stress, (laughs) stress alone did shut down my nervous system. It was just the stress of doing too much at once. And that cortisol, it's absolutely everything. And and I do believe that I was, I've gone into remission because I worked so hard on yeah. my mindset, on breathing techniques, on, you know, um, mastering anxiety a little bit, you know, and just it, it's been everything. The body listens to everything the mm. mind says. Everything. 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 And it's like, you know, they say we know our thoughts can make us unwell, but they can also make us better then, Mm -hmm. you know. So it's like, okay, how do we use that knowledge? How does everyone use that knowledge to best help themselves? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's the most important thing. And I knew mind mind to muscle connection through my training. I understood the importance of mindfulness and I understood it, but it wasn't until I had the chronic fatigue that it was such a gift in a way to 
connect on that level of breathing and meditation and actually like trying to grow the grey matter and like actually really committing to meditation, you know? I love, I mean, meditation has been the foundation of everything that I do. It absolutely changed my life. But the breath is also something that blows me away. I mean, it's our life force. You know, we come into the world breathing and our, the last thing we do is breathe before we depart. It's really interesting. You know, I was taught this breath, this box breath. Yes. That I now teach others for when I'm in moments that I've been anxious or Mm -hmm. something like that. It is so incredible how you can change the way that your breath, like the pace of breath and, you know, hold it in and then, you know, a couple of counts in and then hold and out and all that stuff, how that can change your nervous system and how your heart can go from beating at 100 miles an mm-hmm. hour and you're in your head are trying to convince yourself to, for it to not do that. But as soon as you control your breath, everything kind of settles down. I just think it's such an amazing tool for everyone to learn. Yeah, it's so important. And most people I find with their breath, they they complain to me, like my my members, we have breathing techniques and mindfulness on the program and meditations, visualizations, all that stuff. And they complain it doesn't work. And I'm like, that's because your window of tolerance is so high. You're you're close to panic. So you can't wait when you're panicking to then try breathing. Yeah. You've got to like do it all the time and try and bring your baseline down so that you have more room to go with your emotions. Yes. Because I find that people they they call on it at the wrong time. It's something that you have to practice all the time, mm. I find every day in your good moments as well as your bad moments. That's people tell me that about meditation the whole Mm. time. They're like, I cannot meditate. It's like, well, how how many times did you try? Three. It's like I tried, you know, when I first started meditation, I did it probably about 50 times and did not like it or didn't find the meditation that interested me. And no one meditates once and goes, God, that was easy. That was amazing. Of course it's challenging. You have like a monkey mind of 100 thoughts going through your head. But you have to be consistent, you know, to your point, in everything you do in that kind of Mm -hmm. area to be able to see results. It's not like anyone would go to a personal trainer once. Yes, exactly. And think like, oh, wow, I can see so much muscle growth after that. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the same happens with breathing and with meditation Mm -hmm. and all that kind of mind-body connection uh, and it's funny with the do. mind stuff, people do expect it to just yeah, be instantaneous. Yeah. Where with everything else, they're like, oh, I've got to work out that. Yeah. But you have to work at the breathing as well. And, you know, I found that I was coming to the breathing just when I felt anxious, but not realizing that I should be doing the breathing all the time to not become anxious in the first place. Yes. So it was the wrong timing to come to yeah. it, you know? Yeah. I remember when we met that mm. time at Tony Martin's book launch that we were talking for that little moment a lot about weight gain and things yep. like that. And you're a little person like mm-hmm. I am. So I know that during pregnancy, it can be kind of odd to see your body yeah. change in ways that yeah. it's never changed before. Yeah. And I read something about you when you were out with Ed one day mm. and a man made horrible comments to you yes. about your weight. Yeah. And I wonder how did you move through that? 
Oh, yeah. People made comments about my weight. Yeah, because I put on like 30, 40 kilos in each of my pregnancies. And it's not that I was eating badly or not moving or doing anything wrong. I just was hungry and I put on weight and I ate well, but I just put on the weight. And I came out of my pregnancy with Vader, like over 90 kilos and I'm 164 centimeters. So it's pretty heavy for my frame. I sit at like 58 usually. Yeah. So it was, it's a lot for me to look in the mirror and go, oh my gosh, like my joints, I just had a knee operation because the weight on my joints was so intense. Really? Yeah. And it, it had affected everything. And, you know, people do make comments. Do you think it's because you're in the public eye? I think so. They think that they they think that you're just not a person or something yeah. and they just throw them out there. You're and, a robot that yeah, can take it all. Just yeah. AI. These yeah. comments like you must be having a girl because girls steal your looks. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Like, I mean, who says something like that? Things like that. They Horrible comments about my weight. But I always was like, oh, yeah, whatever. I, j- I don't really take it to heart because I knew that I would get fit again yeah. very slowly. It's still taking me time. I'm still not there after Vader and she's won. I mean, it's taking me time. But I just knew that I would eventually get there again. It just, yeah. And I suppose you do it properly. Yes, You know, you look after yourself and you, yeah. as you know, not to burn yourself out. Yes. And those things take time. Yeah, like they just they do. really do. Yeah. How do you find the compassion for your body and especially after having kids? The self-love, you, you have to have that kindness. Otherwise, the mean girl's in your head. Yeah. And it's so hard. So I think acceptance of I've had a baby, I need to be in this moment, respect recovery because for me I was like I've got to look after my pelvic floor, I've got to look after my core, I've got to build the lower abdominal strength again because it's my vehicle, that's what I do for work. Mm. Like I needed to take time and make sure I didn't jump into star jumps and a long run because then I'd be out (laughs) with injury, you know. Like So I had to do it slowly and sustainably and I've done it with self-compassion and, you know, at first, when I first had Arnold, I felt like, oh, I've put on weight. People won't trust me as a coach anymore because I don't look like a fitness trainer. But then I realised it makes me a better coach yeah. because I've been in people's shoes. I've I've put on 40 kilos. I've, I've had to lose that weight and get fit again and fight through it. And it's relatable. Yeah, and, and I know the struggles now. Mm. So I can confidently talk to people and give them advice. Whereas when I was in my 20s running around doing cardio and, you know, this Energizer mm. bunny, she had no idea, you know. I had no idea. So I'm very grateful to those experiences now. Mm. And I know that Ed is obsessed with the kids, loves them. He said something funny to me once. What was it that you said, enough with the kids? Like, especially just had Arnie because he dotes on it so much. He's like, give the child some space. Yeah, give the child some space. (laughs) Like, let them be. Isn't that so beautiful that you have a husband like that? Yeah, he is so gorgeous and he is like, changing nappies and, you know, burping the baby and he would do everything. Like he was so hands-on and just 
just brilliant with them. And now, you know, he's playing soccer with Arnie and taking him to Taekwondo and doing things with him. And oh, it's just so beautiful to see. It's it's lovely seeing your your husband, you know, go from your husband to being a father and yes. growing, growing up a bit. Yeah. Because Ed's like this big kid. So yeah, it's been a beautiful thing to see. How nice is that? And I wonder for you especially in those moments, as we spoke about, that were the darker times. Do you have a belief in there's something more out there or when you think, why has this happened to me again? Mm. Like, do you believe in that there's something out there in the fact that, you know, we're all here learning Mm. and having those kind of experiences? Yeah, absolutely. I believe in God and I believe that there's more to the world than just us. But more than that, I believe in the power of us Mm. and our ability to affect the universe. Yes. And when I was sick, it was a culmination of stuff. There was work stress and there was taking too much on and there was stresses in my life that had blocked me from opening myself up to other opportunities or being a well person, you know, Mm. and I had created those situations and those circumstances myself. And then it created this cycle of me feeling unwell and then putting out there that I'm unwell and then I, I stayed unwell, you know. So I really had to change my thinking to be a well person and manifesting what a well person, how they Mm. would feel, how they would talk, how they would walk, you know, how I would feel when I got up in the morning, not like I'd been hit by a truck, but like bouncing out of bed like I used to. Like I really do believe in... I don't know what the right term is, but yeah, it's such manifesting, a funny, yeah. bringing to you yeah. good fortune from a place of gratitude yes. and positivity. And I think it's interesting, like you talk about, you envisaged the person that you wanted mm, to be mm-hmm. again. And then it's almost like, you know, from my research, being that person. And even if it's just little steps every day, it's like knowing that you're going to get there mm-hmm. and that you will be that person, mm-hmm. which you are. And I know it can be very hard, especially when you're in the thick of it. Mm. But I think it's really inspiring hearing that because you have come out the other side. and Yeah, thank you. It's such yeah. a beautiful thing to hear, and especially for people that might be listening to this right now. Yeah. I wonder for you, what's the best advice that you have ever been given? Oh, tough question. Oh, the best advice. Yeah, something my husband says all the time. <laughs> he always says it, and he said it to me when I was really young, garbage in, garbage out. And it comes back to that point of you making your life what you want it to be Mm. and monitoring the stimulus that comes into your mind and, you know, thoughts and making sure that they are good thoughts and that you are surrounding yourself by things that are positive and, you know, that there's wellness in everything, you Mm. know. I I, I do believe that garbage in, garbage Mm. out and, you know, Maybe maybe in the bad times that I've had, you know, I wasn't as um, aware of what I was letting affect me, mm. you know. So I really do believe that. Mm. And then it could be surrounding yourself also, like the people, people you choose to spend a lot of time with and, yep. and yeah, the information that's coming in. and It's information, mm. people and environments. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's such good advice. I wonder, Tiff, like what is something you wish for yourself? Hmm. I still wish that I could like still have more energy. You know, I still struggle. It's still a thing that I manage day to day. So I do wish that I continue to improve, I think. Um, constant and never-ending improvement is a Japanese uh, philosophy of can I? And I, it's Kaizen and I do believe in that. I Just little changes every day. It doesn't have to be milestones mm. but I believe in inch pebbles, mm. tiny little changes that I make and it might not be anything that even my husband would notice but I, I'm trying to make those little changes every day for the better, um, to be a better mom. That's that's all. That's all I wish for. What's an example of that? Hmm, something so little. I don't know. Getting up 15 minutes earlier mm. just to, and it's 15 minutes, right? But just to sit on the edge of my bed and do some breathing. Mm before Arnold comes into my room, before the day starts, before I get Vader up, before I'm doing everything for everybody else, just to have 15 minutes, like, to myself, to yeah, breathe. so important. And ground myself a little bit. That's, like, one little change that I've been doing over the past couple of months. And I'll just stick at that. And then I might stack something onto that, mm. you know? I don't know, maybe I'll get up half an hour earlier and you know, do a workout or something like that. At the moment, I'm not quite up to it, but I'll see. I'll see. Maybe some stretching. You know, it's about stacking it. Mm, and I know that your kids are obviously very young, so mm. things can be a bit harder, but I'm all for taking time out for, to do stuff for mm -hmm. you. And that might be spending half an hour doing breathing or doing meditation. I mean, to me, it's a non-negotiable. My yeah. kids have grown up now, they're eight and ten, where they know if that study door's closed, mum's doing meditation. Yeah, that's great. I have to tell you a funny story. I learned this meditation which is a combination of kind of the Wim Hof breath mm -hmm. and then like really deep meditation and it goes in spurts of the breathing. So yes. it's like meditating, breathing, meditating, breathing. And I love it. Yes. It goes, Sounds amazing. It's for about an hour and a half. Wow. Anyway, so the one of the first times I'd done it and my daughter was home, she thought I was, I don't know, having some sort of fit or something yeah. like that. And oh, no. So, she had to call someone and basically going, something's wrong with mum, something's <gasps> oh, wrong no. with mum. And they were laughing on the other end going, no, she's, what's she doing? Oh, she's just doing her meditation with the breathing. So it was like such a funny thing what your kids, yes. she's fine with it now. Yeah. But what, you know, they what they get used to yes. from like just seeing the bits and it's pieces so that make you, you. That role modelling is so yeah. important. And the fact that you're teaching your daughter that it's important to take time out to look after your mind. Yes. That's such an important thing. Absolutely. Like, that's what I want my kids to see. And, you know, and that's what broke my heart at the time when I was sick. I was like, he's not seeing inactive mum. He's not seeing any of the values that I hold. But now I hope that he is. I hope that I'm coming back from it. And, you know, you have to you have to stay a bit positive, not toxic positivity where yeah. you're never vulnerable or you're never yes. real about it. And but when you don't even feel it, you're yeah, just saying Yeah, you're just like, yeah. oh, you know, it's great. But honestly, not positivity is the wrong word, I guess, you know, hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What's your greatest hope for society today? Oh, 
I love something to happen with our attention and social media and just how I was like, I nearly bumped into someone crossing the road here because they're staring at their phone. Mm. It's just that constant um, race to get attention. And I would just love us to get off the apps and just be more present, I think. I think that's my greatest Mm. hope for society. I think we're really stuck at the moment um, and having a bit more of that mindfulness coming into it. Mm. Do you have a favourite prayer or saying or mantra? I have so many. What isn't repaired repeats itself. Oh, I love that. Yeah. so true. Yeah. So I really do try to invest in if something isn't working, repairing it and not just on the surface, like actually doing some deep work and going into it, into myself and thinking, why am I feeling like that? Why is this not working? Why is this a block? Mm. And then making sure that I don't repeat it. So it's become very important to me because I don't want to go back to where I've been. Mm. Yeah, and also I am a true believer in like you're saying like why is this showing up for me again? Mm -hmm. What haven't I learned? Mm -hmm. And what can I learn now to make sure that it doesn't repeat itself? What am I missing? Yeah, Absolutely. What is a life of greatness to you? Life of greatness. Life of greatness for me is just, and it makes me a bit teary because I just think, gosh, I am so lucky. Mm. I think it's thinking about my husband. I think it's um, being surrounded by those that love you and being able to love them back. And I think of my husband and what he's been through and the support that he gives me. And I guess a life of greatness is having that great love in your life and um, being able to connect and connect with people. You know, it doesn't have to be a husband or a a love partner, but, um, you know, just being able to experience that kind of love is Mm. just, for me, a life of greatness, yeah. Well, I understand because I adore Ed Cavalier. He is yeah. one of the most beautiful souls in the world yeah. and he got me through some dark moments yeah. as well. Oh. So he's a, a, a real Thank shining you, light. But so are you. So, you. you know, don't forget that. I mean, yeah. you've changed the lives of thousands upon thousands of people and you talking up about what you've gone through but also yeah. just being so inspiring in your journey Thank of life you. is... God's work. So Yeah, thank you so, so thank much. Thank you so much for the conversation today, Tim. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind the scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Your Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my manifestation course and meditations, head to the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com or this week's episode show notes to find a link. If you love what you heard, we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others.